The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Australian swimmer Kate Campbell is a swimming legend. She's been to three Olympic Games already. She's a two-time Olympic champion and broken multiple world records across an incredible career. But she's yet to become Olympic champion in her favoured event of the 100-metre freestyle. Now, after disappointment at Rio 2016, she's aiming to take top spot at Tokyo 2020 in one of the most competitive events at the entire games, really. Andrew Binner had a chat with her about mindset, picking up and learning the ukulele during the pandemic, and the dangers of Zoom interviews in untidy places. Olympic Channel Podcast. Hey, Kate. Hello, how are you? Sorry, I was a bit late. I just like sat down and had a look, and in the background you could see like, a whole heap of mess, so I've just like pushed it off screen. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I did the same thing as well. I had like laundry hanging up there, so I was like, that's gone. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, and I like went and I was like, oh my gosh, the door to my bedroom's open. Like, let me close that because my bed's all wrinkly. Anyway, glad I'm not the only one. So, set the scene for us. What are you up to at the moment? Where are you and are you training and how's it going? Yes, so I am in Brisbane, Australia. I moved back here in January of this year. Uh, the two years prior to that, I had been based in Sydney. My coach took a job down there. And then at the beginning of this year, felt that it would be better uh, to come back and do our final preparation into Tokyo in Brisbane. So we moved back. Um, pretty much just training, recovering. Uh, we're very, very lucky in Australia that... Uh, our COVID outbreaks are managed very, very quickly. I've actually just come out of a three-day lockdown, which I know I should not tell anyone from Europe because they've been in lockdown for months and a three-day lockdown just sounds like the worst thing. But that's kind of how our government is is dealing with any COVID outbreaks. Um, you know, as, as, as few as eight cases put us into lockdown for three days and we've got on, on top of them. Uh, however... Our sporting organisation, Swimming Australia, has been working really well with the government to ensure that even during lockdowns, uh, certain categorised athletes can still get access to some training facilities. So it hasn't really impacted me too much and it gives me a, a lot of um, kind of confidence for moving forward that should things like these snap lockdowns happen, that I'll still be able to access training facilities. Um, also, I saw the, um, I was just looking through Twitter now, I saw the new Australian Olympic uniforms have been announced. They're awesome. Have you had a chance to try them on and everything? No, I haven't yet. Um, I was hoping to be able to make it down to Sydney for the launch, but then the three-day lockdown. So got stuck in Brisbane. But oh, I think that getting your Olympic uniform is probably one of the most exciting parts about going to an Olympics. You know, it comes in big suitcases and there's more uniform than you know what to do with and being able to try it all on. Some of it is ridiculous, which makes great fancy dress ideas for later. So you can just recycle that one. But it's it's honestly one of the most exciting things about being an Olympian is being able to wear that uniform. Um, green and gold, difficult colours to work with. Um, 
but you're never going to miss the Australians. So that's a good thing. You can always spot them in the dining hall. So if you're going to get your food and you don't have your roomie with you, you can always spot the Australians and you know where you're going to go and have your dinner. Well, uh, so I'm, I'm half South African, actually. So I guess we're, we kind of suffer from the same thing. It's difficult to make those colours work, but um, you never lose your mates. You're right. Um, so you were back in, uh, back in the pool recently. You were at the New South Wales Championships, right? Yes, yes. I got to compete for the first time in a really long time, a uh, couple of weeks ago. And I think that during this lockdown and during this whole year, that's been the thing that I've missed the most. I didn't realize how important competition was in terms of motivation. Either if you do a bad race, you're like, oh, okay, need to pull up my socks, really need to dig in. Or if you do well, you're like, yeah, I'm feeling really good. I'm, I'm in a good place. I want to keep progressing. It also just breaks up the monotony of training. Uh, swimming gets very samey after a while, and I've been doing it for quite a while now. So to be able to break up that training cycle and even just have, you know, half a week recovery is really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, to be able to get back in the pool, I think it's only the third competition I've done in 12 months. So when you compare that to other years, it, you know, it's so, so different. The delay has been super challenging um, so I wonder how you've been managed to take those challenges in your stride and turn them into positives almost. Yeah, it's been challenging for everyone. And I think that everyone is going into Tokyo having faced some form of adversity thrown at them by COVID. I don't think that anyone stands behind the starting blocks of an Olympic Games having faced no adversity like that just doesn't happen to to get to the top you have to overcome challenges but I think this is the first time where we've had to face the same challenge it might have presented itself slightly differently and different people will be diff will be impacted to a different level but it's something that really unites us um for once and and everyone can have a level of understanding uh of what people have been through. And uh, like I've said, you know, Australia, we have been very, very lucky. Our quality of life hasn't been impacted too much. However, like I've said, we haven't had access to any competitions really, which are a really integral part of our training and preparation for an Olympics. We also went into uh, last year in March a eight-week complete lockdown where we lost all access to all training facilities. So uh, we had to isolate by ourselves. We didn't have access, you know, physical access to our coaches or our squad mates, no access to a swimming pool for eight weeks, forced to exercise primarily on land, which I know that any swimmers listening out there will know how nightmarish this is for us because the reason that we get into swimming is because we're not made for land-based activities. So it definitely presented its own challenges. And I think that at first when the postponement was announced and the lockdown was announced, they were actually announced on the same day in Australia, I was really upset, really unsure of, of what to do. And for those first couple of days, I was like, I'm not going to lose any strength or any fitness and I'm going to come out of this in the best shape of my life. 
that's just an unrealistic goal. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. I had a whole team around me ensuring that I could be in that state and that I stayed in that state. I had access to strength and conditioning coaches, to a swimming pool, to my coach, to my squad. And so it took me a, a few days and a couple of failed running attempts to realize that maintaining the level that I was at uh, a couple of months out from an Olympics was not going to be possible. And I think that once I had managed to reframe and reshape that, I was able to sort of step back, relax and think, it's okay, you know, you've got 18 months now instead of four months b- before the Games. So, uh, yeah, taking a step back and a- taking a break was really important because essentially when you've got, you know, 18 months, you're, you're almost playing a long game as opposed to that short final push that we all go through. And will the uh, ukulele be coming to Tokyo with you? <laughs> oh, the ukulele, yep. That was, I think I picked up, I, I tried every hobby under the sun. So before uh, lockdown and before COVID, people would ask, oh, what are your hobbies? It's a pretty standard question on a bio. And I'd just be like, can I put sleeping? Like, does that count as a hobby? Um, during lockdown, suddenly I had all this time. I had all this energy. Turns out that you have a lot of energy when you're not training five hours a day. Who knew? Um, so, yes, I tried everything. I tried the ukulele. Um, I tried to like cooking. That was that one was a fail. Still hate cooking. Um, I planted a veggie garden. I uh, got into photography. I got into refurbishing furniture. Yeah. Now when someone asks, oh, do you have any hobbies? I'm like, well, let me list you some. So there has been some good things coming out of COVID. Um, I might need to work on the ukulele a little bit more. I think happy birthday is about the level that I'm at right now. I can serenade people happy birthday and that's about it. (laughs) Well, I took up the uke and I I dream of the day I can do happy birthday. So well done to you. (laughs) I only do it on like one string. I just pluck it and everyone has to sing really loudly. That's perfect. Um, so in what way does you're talking about fine tuning your body and having it ready to go? Is it more difficult as a sprinter that the games get delayed than as a longer distance athlete? Because I imagine with all the explosive movements you have to do as a sprinting athlete, you have to make sure your body is ready to peak at that that sort of two weeks every four years. So, yeah, is it is it almost more difficult for someone that specializes in the hundred? Oh. Look, I'm not sure if it's more difficult and I'm sure that any distance swimmers would put up their hand and say that they definitely have it worse. And I train next to a guy who swims 1500 meter freestyle in a different squad and he does have it worse. Um, But I, I, I think that to your point, you are right in that while we don't go further, we have to be so much faster and our win lose margins are often a lot smaller. And so our margins for error are a lot less. And that means that even I once, I I went into this because I was getting frustrated because I felt like I wasn't swimming fast enough. Um, And I I kind of had to sit down and I think I was, I think it was four tenths of a second away from my personal best in my 50 meters freestyle. And if we go off the assumption that, 100% of my physical effort and uh, physical wellness is my personal best, then if I'm swimming four tenths slower, I'm still operating at 98%. But 
the challenge is, is that four tenths of a second is the difference between coming first and coming last or not even making a final in my event. So being at 98% isn't good enough. I need to be at 100% or better. So I think that it does present more challenges in that fine tuning aspect. And, uh, you know, I have complete trust in my coach. And I think that that's an area that he really excels at. Um, he, he looks at how I am in the water, what my strength is like in the gym, and he's able to tailor my taper uh, to ensure that I'm peaking at the right time. And, you know, I've been with him for, for 20 years, so he knows me really, really well. I know him well, and I trust him implicitly. Um, if he tells me, yep, we need to push this, then I'll push it. If he says I get in and swim a couple of hundred metres, like, you need to go home and rest, then I'm like, yes, I need to go home and rest. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 is, it is very challenging, and I definitely found it challenging coming back into the pool after the eight-week lockdown, uh, after eight weeks of – not being in the pool at all, um, I found that aerobically I could get back, but that speed and that spark definitely took some work to get back. It hasn't been a normal preparation for a Games. And even with someone with your level of experience, um, looking forward to the Aussie trials in June, do you, do you almost feel some kind of different kind of nerves that you would, I don't know, do you feel nervous ahead of that at all, like in a good way? Oh, you always feel so nervous ahead of Olympic trials. Olympic trials, I would say are as much, if not more, stressful than the Olympics themselves. Um, especially in Australia, right? Especially in Australia. You know, our, our margins are brutal and you have one opportunity to either make it or you're out. You know, at the Olympics, at least you could get a place. If you're not first or second in a top eight time in the world in Australia, you're not even going. Like, you don't even get that opportunity. And in in my event, it obviously is incredibly competitive. Um, you know, we, we've had such a long, rich history in the 100-metre freestyle and the 50-metre freestyle. And so it's not a walk-in by any stretch of the imagination, you know. Uh, for me to swim a time that puts me well within the top eight people in the world is easy. But for me to get first or second in Australia, that's the challenge because realistically we have four or five girls who could potentially be in the mix. And I think that this extra 12 months has given some of the younger athletes, so some of the athletes who may have been on the cusp, you know, the, the 17, 18, 19-year-olds who uh, are kind of just developing, it's given them an extra 12 months to grow, mature, develop, get some more training under their belt. Um, us oldies, we're kind of <laughs> limping along and hoping that our bodies hold out. Uh, but fortunately, mine is looking pretty good so far. So I also saw on your Instagram recently that you have like the best swimming costume I've ever seen. It was the Wonder Woman one. Um, so in what way are you channeling your inner Wonder Woman ahead of the Tokyo Olympics? Um, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that swimsuit because I only bring it out on days where I really feel like I need to like step up. <laughs> so it's it, it's not in my regular rotation. It's in like the special rotation <laughs> covered. And when, I, when I'm feeling particularly tired, I'm like, okay, it's time to pull out the Wonder Woman cosy uh, and maybe strike a power pose. Um, oh, there's... 
I think that when I, it's, it's about using everything at your disposal to keep you motivated because it's been such a different and strange and weird 12 months. And I really have had to look for different ways to keep myself motivated. And sometimes it is as simple as putting on a pair of Wonder Woman swim swimmers. Uh, and I know that sound, makes me sound like a 10 year old girl, but if it works for you, it, it works for you. If it's, you know, turning up the music really loud in your car. And I think it's about channeling an energy that sometimes we can't feel for ourselves. And so you reach for it in different places. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you picked up on the Wonder Woman swimmers because yeah, they're a favorite of mine. They're awesome. Um, okay, so I want to take a quick trip down memory lane. Um, so you made your Olympic debut at Beijing and I think you were 16, that's correct. Um, and you have been unbelievably consistent at the top of the game since then. And we were talking earlier about swimming being a sport that's, you know, you follow a line up and down a lot. And I know you do dry level training, but it's not like something like soccer where there's, you know, different things coming at you all the time. It's quite a monotonous sport. And a lot of people do suffer from burnout. But you seem to have, I know you took a break after, after Rio, but generally speaking, you've been so consistent at the top for so long. What's kept you going as, as long as you have? That's a, a really interesting question and one that I've kind of had to stop and think about, particularly during the lockdown with, with, with the forced stop. Um, and I kind of put it down to, I say that progress is my drug of choice in that I picked a sport where, there is a really objective measure of success and there's a really objective measure of a way to measure your progression. And I find that there's something about it that I just, every time I get out of a pool or just about every time I get out of the pool, I think, ah, oh, I think I could have been a little bit better. And I, or I'm like, ah, oh, I, I think I could have, done something a little bit differently and that might have affected the result. And there's something about that. It, it's almost like never being satisfied that has kept me in the sport. It definitely led to burnout in, in 2016. Um, that relentlessness, I tend to get in a little bit of tunnel vision and, and keep going to the detriment of um, other things around me and, and things that are actually really important for our general health and well-being. Um, I'm very lucky to have an incredibly supportive and understanding group of friends who have stuck by me since pretty much I was that 16-year-old at, at school. Um, I think that they saw something in me then and, and just kind of understood. Um, but, I yeah, I, I really believe that... I, I just kind of get addicted to the idea that I always think I can get a little bit better and that perfection, while it doesn't exist anywhere in the world, the, the closest I can get to perfection is in the swimming pool. And there are a handful of races where I've jumped out and I've thought that is just about as good as it gets. And there's something about that feeling that keeps me going back, 
that keeps me getting out of bed in the morning, that makes me push through the sessions that I just absolutely hate and I don't want to be there. Um, And I think that once I feel like I don't want to find that extra 1%, half a percent, 0.01 of a percent, then I'll be ready to, you know, hang up my swimmers for good. I, I actually had a thought the other day. Um, in the past 12 years, 13 years, since that 2008 um, debut at the Olympics at 16, I've improved my 50-metre freestyle time three-tenths of a second. <laughs> and, like, just... Uh, I was just like, I'm nuts. I'm crazy. Why am I still doing this? Three-tenths of a second in 13 years. Um, but, yeah, there's there's something magical about getting close to it that just makes me think that the next time I do it, it's going to be a little bit better. And I wanted to pick up on something you just said there. You said you focused on your sport so much that it was almost to the detriment of other parts of your life. Can you elaborate a little bit on on that? What what do you think you weren't focusing on enough because of your swimming? Yeah, I I I think I lost perspective of the things that make you a good human being. I was very good at finding the things that make you a good athlete. But the things that make you a good and healthy athlete are not necessarily the things that make you a healthy human being. And ultimately, athletes are human. And if you're not a healthy human, then eventually that's going to spill over into an unhealthy athlete. And I just let life be consumed by swimming and by, you know, those tiny little margins and What can I do more? And I really sacrificed just about everything. You know, I would, I was so careful and so strict on what I ate, um, the supplements that I put in my body. I would turn down invites to events or dinners or catch up with friends because I needed to rest and I needed to recover or um, I was going to be a little bit late or. You know, I just, I probably went too far down that perfectionist mindset. And then when I didn't get the result that I really wanted to in Rio, I kind of felt like swimming had betrayed me. Like I had made it this, you know, almost God in my life. I devoted my life to it and then it had completely let me down. And I didn't know if I could turn to anything else. And fortunately, you know, I could. I had wonderful friends and family who were always there and were probably watching me from the sidelines, shaking their head, being like, let's let's get a trampoline in case she falls through and, and, and needs us to catch her. So fortunately, I, I had a really soft landing. Uh, but I think that that is a credit to them and less of a credit to myself. So... Moving forward, I have been really, really careful uh, in managing the kind of obsessive, compulsive nature that I have when it comes to swimming versus, hang on, let's have a think about whether 
it is really that important or whether it is more important to spend time with your friends and family, to invest in hobbies, to uh, travel a little bit, to broaden your horizons and your landscapes, to find something that you can do outside of the pool that will give you that little dopamine hit. Uh, and I've been really conscious about that in the preparation from, from 2016 until now. So you, you touched on Rio there. Um, it obviously, it, it didn't go to plan for you there. Um, you didn't medal in the 100 despite being like a heavy favourite to do it. And while we don't need to go back all into that now, um, I would like to know how much of a motivation that has been in this Olympic cycle. I mean, I know that you took some time off in 2017, then we had the coronavirus, but is that still something that really gives you some fire ahead of Tokyo? Um. To be honest, I don't feel like I need to atone for Tokyo for Rio anymore, which is a pretty big step because for a long time I thought, well, I haven't achieved what I've wanted to do. I have, in my world, failed. Um, the only thing to do is to now get back on the horse and go and compete in Tokyo. And I don't think that when you are motivated by negative emotion, in my case, it was fear, it was doubt, it was um, a desperation to prove that I was better than that. I don't think that that is a good starting place for anything. And while those emotions, because they burn so hot and so intensely, they burn out quickly as well. Um, whereas if you anchor yourself to something that is less intense, that's going to sustain you for a much longer period of time. And I kind of, I took 2017 off because I didn't know if I was going to continue swimming because I was afraid of what life would look like if I didn't. Or if I actually loved swimming and it was something that I felt like I could still do more in uh, regardless of the end result. If it was something that could still bring me joy, uh, even if the outcome isn't always exactly what you want. And so for me going to Tokyo, it's not about atoning for my quote-unquote failure in Rio, it's about me standing up and saying I still have more to give to this sport. It still brings me joy and I still feel like I want to pit myself against the rest of the world. In saying that, I now know what it looks like to hit rock bottom and in a way I'm kind of like, well, you know what, whatever happens in Tokyo, I know that the worst has happened so I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. It's, it's amazing talking to you about that because it sounds like you've got so much kind of mental clarity about that situation and you've you've approached it in such a constructive way. Do, do you feel like you're in a really good mental space at the moment? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've had a lot of time to think about it. Like you said, it's just me and the black line a lot. So <laughs> it's um, 
I, I almost use sometimes swimming as, as a little bit of therapy. There's something really relaxing about the constant rhythm of your arms and then the quiet that you get under the water and the coolness. Uh, I find it really, really therapeutic and I find it a good way to either work out frustrations or work through little tangles that I get in my brain and like un, untangle them and, and smooth them out. So, um, yeah, I, I really feel like I have a sense of clarity, a sense of purpose. Uh, and ultimately, I think I'm just, I'm incredibly privileged to be able to do what I do, honestly. Uh, I dreamt of going to an Olympic Games when I was nine years old. And here I am sitting on the threshold of competing at a fourth Olympic Games, um, which is in itself pretty incredible. And I think that the time that we've had to take recently to, to slow down has, has helped me gain a little bit of perspective in that because when you're just in the cycle and the rat race and the, all right, we've got to get better, we've got to keep being better and keep pushing you forget to stop and and think about those moments. And it's often the stillness and, and the calm that I draw on behind the blocks as opposed to, you know, some, some people need to be revved up and angry and, and need to have a grudge. But I tend to go deep within myself and, and find this sense of calm and this purpose and this knowledge that this is where I'm meant to be because so many things have had to go right in my life for me to end up in this place. Um, and, yeah, I feel like Tokyo 2021, more than any other Olympics, is a chance to be part of history. And Olympics is always a moment in time, but there is something about these games that will go down in history and to be a part of it is even more of a privilege than the other games that I've been to. And... It's something that, and that I think has been a real motivator for me um, in that just to hold a Games is is an incredible achievement. And, yeah, so I'm feeling really good. And on that note, that is us done. Um, Kate, thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed talking to you. It was really good fun. Thanks so much for having me. It was lovely to meet you. And you. Bye-bye. See ya. Olympic Channel Podcast. Massive thanks to Kate and also to Andrew. You can follow Kate on Instagram. She is Kate, C-A-T-E underscore Campbell. Andrew is just Andrew Binner on Twitter. I'm Eddie Knowles with the nine and eight. We are simply Olympics across all social media too. Right, that's it for now. Stay safe, stronger together. See you very soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.